Toronto, Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hey, welcome aboard. Glad to have you with us. Hello to all my U.S. affiliates from Anchorage, Alaska, down to Asheville, North Carolina. For those of you listening online at zoomerradio.ca and those of you listening closer to home here in the greater Toronto area, coming to you live from Liberty Village, a neighborhood just north of the Grand Old Lady by the Lake, the Canadian National Exhibition. This is a great neighborhood. And I'm just thinking, you know, here we are in Liberty Village and uh, we are located on Jefferson Avenue. We hold liberty and freedom very, very close to our hearts here on this radio program. I just watched this film this afternoon and it's a good one. Be on the lookout for it. It's called The Life After Death Project. A great documentary, it says here on the front cover, it certainly is, on a timeless theme, scientific evidence for life after death. It's also the first paranormal biography, the afterlife story of Forrest J. Ackerman, a founding father of Hollywood science fiction who refuses to rest in peace. And joining us on the line is Paul Davids, an award-winning documentary filmmaker whose films include The Sci-Fi Boys and Jesus in India. He's also known for executive producing and co-writing Showtime's original TV movie, Roswell, which was nominated for a Golden Globe as Best Motion Picture for Television. Paul Davids, a great delight to have you aboard here on The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Thank you. I'm very good. I think I count as one of your American affiliates. You do. (laughs) The Life After Death Project. First of all, congratulations on this uh, documentary. First of all, for those not familiar with, uh, I mean, there's a lot more here. It's not just about the uh, the afterlife story of Forrest J. Ackerman, although he certainly looms large in this film. Explain to those not familiar with Forrest J. Ackerman, who was he? He was one of the forefathers of contemporary science fiction in film and literature was born in 1916 and grew up through the silent era, and he was one of the first major promoters of uh, science fiction in film. He was one of the people who got Ray Bradbury started, Ray Harryhausen started, Ray Harryhausen left us uh, just a week ago, I think. Uh, In 1958, Forey Ackerman founded with James Warren, a very, very popular magazine that has had a long life and is still going today, called Famous Monsters of Filmland. It was a very humorous look at movie monsters, uh, and kids really enjoyed it. I grew up with it, and I sure wasn't alone of those who went into the film business who uh, grew up with it and loved it, because its fans you know, include all the big people in science fiction and fantasy movies, certainly including Lucas and Spielberg and Rick Baker and Dennis Murin um, and, uh, you know, John Landis, Joe Dante. The list just goes on and on and on of the people who, oh, of course, um, Peter Jackson, of those who Ackerman inspired. He was a very uh, strange and wonderful man, had a great sense of humor, was very generous. And he lived in an 18-room house in the Las Feliz area of Los Angeles that he called the Acker Mansion. And it was absolutely filled in every single room, in every corner, every speck of every wall, and including the bathrooms, with some of the greatest memorabilia of the whole history of horror and science fiction films going back to the silent days, including lots of original relics from King Kong. This is a man that figures largely in the Life After Death Project because this is really how I got involved in this through the back door. I mean, I I was a 
I was one of Forey's boys. From the time I was a teenager, I entered a movie contest in Famous Monsters. I was a winner. I was getting national publicity in the magazine, and I, I was barely in high school at that point. And uh, then I went to Hollywood and befriended him, and we were friends for decades. He finally passed away December 4th, 2008. He was, a, he was an avowed atheist, correct? He said he was. He was a skeptic. He declared himself an atheist. Uh, he said he didn't believe in an afterlife. But for those who really knew him well, there was some waffling in his position. I mean, there was some ambiguity there. He had written a fictional short story about uh, a boy who went to heaven and met up with his idol, Lon Chaney, who played the Hunchback of Notre Dame. And the twist of the story was this, this boy was a hunchback, and he gets to heaven, and he is non-physical, doesn't have a body anymore, and he's freed of his deformity, and he finds happiness. That was fiction, of course. But there was an interesting sort of paranormal incident in Forey's family. His father, George Wyman, was the brilliant architect who designed the Bradbury Building in Los Angeles, very famous building that figures prominently in Blade Runner. His grandfather wasn't going to take that job, but there was sort of a seance and a Ouija board reading, and the message that came through was, take the Bradbury Building and you will succeed. And Fari kept that scrawled message and framed it, kept it in the living room, showed it to people, you know, forever. So for someone who said, you know, there's no afterlife, he doesn't believe in the paranormal, everything about his life dabbled in the paranormal. He said it was all fiction, but still there were these incidents. And did he not, near the end of his life, uh, say to his personal assistant, you know, if there is a big convention, Comic-Con convention or what have you, in the sky, and, I, and I'm able to communicate with you, much the way that Harry Houdini did, I guess. If there's a way, I will. Yeah, he said that. It wouldn't have been Comic-Con necessarily, although he did frequent Comic-Con. I was there with him, actually, one of the last Comic-Cons. Uh, we signed autographs for a movie that I made he was in called The Sci-Fi Boys. But no, it wouldn't have been a world science fiction convention. It would have been a heavenly science fiction convention and if he woke up to that he said that when all the hoopla died down and he was uh, done palling around with Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi and Peter Lorre and all his other great friends of the horror and science fiction films if it was possible to do it he'd drop a line back here in the physical reality of Earth you know he said it with a big twinkle in his eye and yet after he died it was a few months later that a huge tribute was held for him in Hollywood at the Egyptian Theater, and that was the day that this all started. That was the day that things started that, that just took people by surprise. They couldn't explain away. It was Fari saying hello in all different kinds of ways, and when I first heard about it, the day of the tribute, I was one of the speakers there, I thought, you know, guys, this is really interesting, you know, what... What what is this? One of one of the Canadian filmmakers who was there. Oh, you're in Toronto. Well, he's Ian Johnston. He lives in Toronto. Yes, you yes. Get him on your show. He he and his friend Mike McDonald from Halifax were the first two. They'd made a film about Fari Ackerman. They came to the tribute. The film was going to be presented there. And before the tribute, they visited his crypt at and Forest McDonald, Lawn. <laughs> Forest Lawn. At, which <laughs> yes, Forest. <laughs> he rapped on it. The crypt three times, you know, Uncle Forey, are you there? And he never would have wrapped on anybody else's crypt, but it was the kind of relationship everybody had with him. It was one of fun, you know, lightheartedness. But they got back to the room they were staying in, and 
two things happened with their computers, bang, 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 that made them absolutely convinced that he was knocking back to them. And I, I took this in, and I thought, you know, yeah, what do you do with that? You know, I mean, they, they were sincere. I believed it really happened. Uh, was it Fari? You know, it, it's a hard leap to make. I, I've been a skeptic on most things for most of my life until something happens that convinces me I can't be a skeptic anymore. And that's what happened to me about a week after the tribute. Something happened to me that was just impossible. Well, yeah, we're couldn't, take couldn't a, happen, but it happened. We're going to take a time out here in a moment, and then we'll find out what happened uh, to you. Let me just ask you quickly before we go yeah. into the break, and that is, had you intended, before this amazing event happened to you one night down in New Mexico, had you intended to make a film about life after death? Or Oh, no. This oh, is, no. No, it wasn't in my, on my radar at all. I had a list of films I wanted to make. It wasn't, it wasn't even down there at the bottom. It wasn't there. Mm-mm. Unbelievable. And very quickly as well, the event that happened to these two Canadian filmmakers, they're in their hotel. Yeah. One of them has a laptop open and he's... He's blogging onto Facebook, trying right. to post pictures from the crypt. And you have to put in the code, the squiggle lines that come up so that it prevents... knows you're not a spammer. Right. Yeah. And what comes up is Ackerman 000. He rapped on the crypt, knock, 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 and his name comes back on the computer as the code with three zeros. They say, this is impossible. Is he really dead? And the other computer that was asleep at the time blurts out in a childlike voice, oh my gosh, no way. That's what happened. And that's just the beginning. That was the beginning. We'll come back uh, in conversation with Paul Davids, the Life After Death Project here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Paul Davids is with us, filmmaker. The uh, documentary is The Life After Death Project. Sort of think CSI meets uh, The Ghost Hunter. Four New York Times bestselling authors, three top science professors, three well-respected mediums make a leap into the unknown investigating astonishing evidence in the case of apparent after-death communication, ADC, from sci-fi luminary Forrest J. Ackerman. And uh, for you, I mean, so you, you, you speak with these two Canadian filmmakers who, along with you, had attended the, the tribute to the, uh, the late uh, Mr. Ackerman. Yeah, they have this one of the speakers there, along, along with Guillermo del Toro, and uh, John Landis and Peter Jackson. So they have this... From New Zealand via right. uh, video. Sure. I mean, Ackerman was uh, a, a hero to, to many uh, yeah. of, of filmmakers, obviously, including yeah. yourself. So so after these two Canadian filmmakers have this kind of... They're staying, I believe, across the road from uh, Grayman's Theatre uh, at the time, and they just returned from uh, Forest Lawn after you know tapping on Ackerman's uh, mausoleum and uh, then they have this paranormal experience. And then how, how long was it after that? You were down in New Mexico, and you had yeah, I left this... Los Angeles uh, a day or two after the tribute and uh, headed for a vacation home in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And it was a week later that my world was turned upside down. So take us back to that, that evening. Well, here was the incident. I mean, it was getting to be tax time. I printed out a document 24 pages long that had 
my phone calls, business meetings, all that stuff from the previous year. You know, go over and see if there's any tax deductions I hadn't considered. And I press the print command. Um, I was alone in the house. There was no one staying with me. My wife is back in L.A. on this trip. And I went to uh, one of the Indian casinos nearby for about an hour or so. Uh, when I came back, I collected the document. The ink was dry. It was normal. I tossed it on my bed and intended to crawl into bed and read through it and take notes. I went into the bathroom. I was there a few minutes. And when I came out and my eyes fell on the document, I immediately saw that it had been changed. It was different. There was moist black ink on it that was perfectly blacking out forwards. And uh, of the blackout, two of the words you could still kind of read, uh, like translucent. But the other two words were absolutely 100% blacked out. Couldn't, couldn't tell what they were. <clears throat> now, I was in shock because there was no one there that could have done it. And this was not a case of a drip from the ceiling, you know, landing with some water on the document. And spreading some ink. No, this wasn't was, a blotch. It was precise. It was like a message. It was precise. Right. I, I didn't know what, you know, who could have done it. There was no one there. What did it mean? I mean, it, at first I felt scared and uh, a little bit threatened. Um, and um, I didn't know I was going to go to sleep that night. Um, and then, um, you know, it was dry after about four or five minutes. The, the next morning, I took pictures of it. I uh, I had somebody I knew come in with an electromagnetic field reader, and we were checking out the house, and uh, we got these massive EMF readings from a mask that was on display in the room right right next to where the ink thing happened. It was an African mask. It was from Zimbabwe. Um, and that was really strange and hard to understand. There were no mental parts in it. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I filmed that. Um, and uh, I really wanted to check out the ink. I felt I had some evidence of something. I didn't know what. And uh, I had a contact to uh, University of Indiana, the chairman of the chemistry department there, who's a world, he just happens to be a world-class expert in inks and paints and solvents, Dr. Jay Siegel. So I started with Dr. Siegel. I said, I said, look, I don't want to FedEx this to you. I'm not willing to take any chance to get lost. I'm going to hand deliver it. I'd like to bring a video camera. I'd like to film what you do in the lab and see if you can explain this uh, away. Uh, and, of course, he expected he could explain it away. He can explain everything chemical. But it got really complicated. He started with gas chromatography. It didn't give him the answers he needed. Something really weird happened in his laboratory while he was doing it that, uh, uh, you know, we discussed, you know, as it happened there. And then he decided to bring in another chemist. Uh, so he had me fly to New Jersey, to the College of New Jersey, Dr. John Allison, who got so involved in this project, it became a huge project for him for three years. Can you believe it? He involved classes in it, students. Uh, they used the electron microscope. They absolutely could not duplicate this ink blot. However, they tried. So they're matching this ink blot with all known paint, solvents. pigments, solvents, yeah. other Everything. chemicals. Yeah. Now they, they they are able to figure out that the most of the chemistry of the ink blot 
I mean, this gets a little technical, and I don't know if you re- your, your listeners really want to, you can see the movie and get all the details. But what's interesting is that the ink, what, most of the chemistry matched the ink that, that, that was in the printer ink, which was a blue-black ink. But the problem was that there was so much more of it at that one particular spot, very, very evenly distributed, much more ink than was ever present in the words that were there. And um, it also had a couple, it had a silver in it that wasn't in the original ink, and it had barium chromate, wasn't there. Um, and they couldn't figure out how it could have been uh, applied or laid down so precisely. And they tried everything, as I say, for a couple of years. And, and the more John Allison tried, and, and this is where it gets really hairy, because the more poltergeist types of things started happening to him. And one of the incidents was caught right on film while I was there, where a clock chimed that hadn't worked in 10 years and has never worked again since. He had incident, an incident of pages that were in his dining room on a chair being scattered all across the floor while he was out of the room. There was no one who could have done it, you know, no open windows. <clears throat> and I want to say the plot really thickened when I found out later that the remodeled Acker Mansion he was deceased and somebody bought it they remodeled it they had tenants living there and I spoke to the tenants who told me the house was haunted and they didn't know anything about Forrest J. Ackerman and the you know horror science fiction museum that had been there before they, they, uh, they knew only the barest details they told me about incidents that happened in the house and one of them exactly matched what was happening to the scientist in New Jersey with the pages being this was the, the musician artist who would leave the room yeah. when she came back. Her, her, her yeah, papers were scattered. <clears throat> at a music stand. But at this and, point, let me just back up um, yeah. and, and remind listeners, Paul Davids is with us, a filmmaker. The documentary is entitled The Life After Death Project. And at this and point, tell them, let me just interject certainly. before you ask the question, Richard. I want them to know this was on Sci-Fi a couple nights ago. And uh, <clears throat> we only arranged that they were going to show it once. And what our site is lifeafterdeathproject.com. It has everything about it there, and the sequel, which is coming out with the DVD. So there's two movies, and all the bonus features and things. And I, I really would like to just take a moment to say a word to encourage your listeners to check that out there or at Amazon, and please do not support the piracy sites. You can't imagine the death knell that the piracy sites mean to the independent producers like me who independently finance their projects, work on them for years, maybe get a channel like Sci-Fi to show it, and the moment it's there, there's a thousand people there who have no respect for copyright and they all think that they can run away with it. And it, you know, it just leaves us, you know, with no way to recoup. But I, just please, if you've been supporting them, the torrent sites and that kind of thing, please stop. You know, for, understand it from our point of view. Or people like me who make these interesting films on controversial subjects and push the envelope, you know, won't be able to make them anymore. Exactly. And that said, let's get back to uh, your questions. Yes, please. Uh, give us the, the website again where people can... It's lifeafterdeathproject.com. Excellent. Don't okay. forget the word project. Now, this ink, I don't want to call it a blot because, as you say, it was precise. Mm-hmm. This ink line... Mm-hmm. At this point, I mean, bef- you, you hadn't made necessarily the connection between this... this an Ackerman. An Ackerman. Explain what led... No, I was more concerned about a possible connection between the mask and Ackerman. 
because Ackerman was a collection of all kinds of masks, right. and that African mask looked like something out of his favorite movie, King Kong. And, um, but if this was a message, at first I didn't get it at all. I, I looked up what the words were, and it, I, it was, you know, spoke to Joe Amodi. It was somebody I'd had one conversation with in my life uh, about possibly distributing my film, Jesus in India. It didn't happen. That was the day I spoke to him. I took that note down, and I, I didn't have any further business contact with him uh, or, or anything. There was another little line on that front page that said, left message for Joe Amodi a day or two before. And whoever crossed this out deliberately avoided left message for and, and, and crossed out, you know, blotted out, spoke to Joe Amodi. So the issue had to do with speaking with someone, not leaving a message. And, the, you know, the key to this that just jolted me because it made so much sense to me because I knew Fari so well and I knew his sense of humor and you have to understand he was a punster he was a master at wordplay he could twist words make jokes where he would find words within words and surprise you because he would see things in words you never did and for example one of his things was to take a word where there would be another word in, in the middle syllable so if on the cover of Famous Monsters he wanted to say spectacular issue, it wouldn't just say spectacular, it would say spect and then ack, A-C-K in big letters, and then U-L-A-R, because they called him Ack. It was a nickname, Ackerman, Ack. And he did this again and again. I looked through things he had signed, things he had written, things in Famous Monsters. I found at least 15 examples of this, that this was his style, kind of his humor, his signature. Well... It, it didn't even occur to me. <laughs> I was calling up his caretaker for the last 10 years of his life, the person who was closest to him, uh, who answered to all of his needs and kept his life being a dignified life to the end. He was his there when he is, died, in fact. Yeah. His name is Joe Mo from Hawaii. Loyal, as loyal as anybody could be. And what the reason I called Joe was I thought maybe he'd have some old Fari manuscripts that would show how Fari crossed out words when he was writing an article. And before I could even ask him about that, he said, Paul, well, I had the strangest experience after the tribute. A few days after the tribute, I said, I don't quite know how to describe it, but it was as though Fari came and spoke to me. And he said, uh, he said, it, it, you know, some people maybe call these things waking dreams, lucid dreams. He said it was right before I woke up and opened my eyes in the morning. I, my, if it was a dream, I was seeing my own room, and Fari was there, and he came into my room, and then he told me what Fari said to him, which was Fari's funny way of thanking him for the tribute and telling him it was, you know, the ninth wonder of the world, not not the eighth wonder, because the eighth wonder is King Kong. If you're in the you right, know, right, that's right. Oh, by the way, Fari's the guy that came up with the term sci-fi. That was another ah, okay. contribution. But so Joe said. It was like he was really there. And then suddenly I just, you know, shake my head, open my eyes. I'm looking at the same thing, the scene in my bedroom, and there's no Fari there. Everything else is the same. And he didn't know what to do with it because he's a skeptic. I mean, I think he's been a member of skeptic societies, and, and it's the way he thinks. And he knew Fari didn't believe in life after death, and, you know, he didn't have any reason to either. And I look, you know. At that moment, I just spoke to Joe at Modi, and I was in shock because I realized Joe Mo's name is right there in the middle middle syllable of Amodi. And 
it suddenly dawned on me, Fari would do that. If he wanted to tell me he spoke to Joe Mo, <laughs> he'd cross out, spoke to Joe Amodi, and expect me to get it. Right, he and he has Joe to work, Mo. and he's, if he's trying to communicate with you, he's got to work with the available material, so he and sees... It, on- yeah, and do it in a way in which... I would get it, but you see, it was a puzzle that I had to figure out, and he expected me to figure it out, rightly so. I think it probably took me longer to figure it out than he, he's, <laughs> he's probably thinking, come on, Paul, what's the matter with you? You don't get it yet. But And he it, didn't cross out the, the, the line earlier on that oh, said left, left message, message with no, Joe. He said no, spoke. No, no. So you see, it was precise and it was definite. Now, what I'd like your listeners to understand is this was the beginning. That was the first week of, I haven't counted the number of incidents that have happened, and I don't know whether you call them paranormal. Some of them are really improbable synchronicities, and some of them are just really, really strange things that shouldn't happen but did and relate to Fari. A couple of them were, again, impossible things, like the inkblot, things that just there's no physical explanation for how those things happen. And they, they kept happening to me at unexpected times over the course of the years and and even within the last few weeks again some of the most spectacular things have happened we'll take a time we, out here uh, uh, Paul yeah. when we come back maybe we can touch on the uh, the article you wrote for Fate magazine okay and uh, then we'll get into the science of this and how you went down and uh, took all this information to uh, Professor Gary Schwartz at the University of Arizona, and this yeah. is where the science really comes in, and this stuff is compelling, the yeah. scientific evidence for this. Paul Davids, The Life After Death Project, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Curiosity? Or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Let me beg your indulgence for just one second before we get back to my uh, conversation with the filmmaker responsible for the Life After Death Project. If you could, just to take a moment at some point and uh, log on to uh, Indiegogo.com. That's the uh, the crowdfunding platform, Indiegogo, and check out uh, my beloved... Uh, my beloved's uh, Mighty Aphrodite's uh, campaign there, uh, Adopt a Greek Olive Tree. Adopt a Greek Olive Tree on Indiegogo and uh, would appreciate it. All right. Uh, Paul Davids is with us. The Life After Death Project, the first paranormal biography, the afterlife story of Forrest J. Ackerman, a founding father of Hollywood science fiction who refuses to rest in peace. Now, at some point, you were asked to write a uh, um, an article for uh, the legendary Fate magazine, and uh, tell us what happened, Paul. I want to do that, but I want to interject something since you're the conspiracy show that has to do with another article first, if I may. Please do. <clears throat> this week, just a couple of days ago, Huffington Post wrote uh, an article about this, about the Life After Death Project. Very comprehensive. Written by um, Lee Spiegel. Yes, he's terrific. And Lee spoke to... Uh, uh, science people involved, and uh, he did link to the scientific uh, journals that had published papers. It was done extremely well. And he, he approached the science department of Huffington Post to try to get it picked up as a science story, and was turned down. And, uh, you know, they just uh, uh, flatly refused. And it's the old way of thinking about this, that since it can't be true, uh, it isn't. And it sounds sort of tabloid. And, you know, do they prove it beyond any doubt? Forget about reasonable doubt. 
Is it absolutely proven? And if it isn't, put it in the weird news section. <laughs> so yeah, that's so that, unfortunate. You know, yeah, the, the I, thing I that I do want to encourage your your listeners to go to the Huffington Post, look at the article. It's under weird news. It's a really good piece about this, and it'll fill in some of the things we might not cover here. But it's um, it's unfortunate that you know, just like with UFOs, it's the way things are. Well, I know that that Michael Shermer is uh, featured in the in the film. I, I've met Michael a few times at his uh, office in Pasadena and, and yeah. included him in my television show. God bless Michael Shermer, but th- that guy, I don't think he believes in air. I mean, I think he would argue against the existence of of air. Uh, but the you thing know, is, you know, what's funny if you read his biography, he started out as a fundamentalist Christian. I mean, he, he was going to a college for for that, and then he had a a massive rejection against all of that, and turned around and. Threw it all out, threw out the baby with the bathwater. And he thinks in his book, Why People Believe Weird Things, that because he's able to um, learn how to give a cold reading as though he's a psychic and fool somebody, because it's possible to be a charlatan and an imposter and get somebody to play along, that that means that there is no truth to any of it. And I'm convinced he's absolutely wrong and that they're they're missing real data that is of scientific value. Well they so they say show me the scientific data when you show it to them then they question the protocols and the way this experiment was being done. And but wait till the, the people uh, wait till people listening to this program watch your film and see this the the mediums that uh, took on this case. Oh it was extraordinary. It is extraordinary. It came but, through Gary Schwartz. But you wanted to hear about Fate magazine. I'll yes. tell them very quickly. Uh, Fate Magazine wanted me to write an article about the strange case of Forrest J. Ackerman for an issue they had dealing with artist Frank R. Paul. He was one of the top pulp cover artists of those magazines. Wonderful science fiction imagery, and Fari Ackerman was a collector of his work. So they wanted me to write an article, and I did, telling them uh, that um, there seemed to be evidence that uh, he'd been heard from since he passed away. But when the article came back from the printer, it wasn't the way I wrote it. There on the first page, about three paragraphs down, <laughs> sort of reminds you of the ink blot. this huge typographical error that goes on for uh, sentences. And what it is, is it breaks away from what I had actually written, and it suddenly says, um, I'm trying to remember the exact words, but I think it was essentially um, the uh, obliterating ink. Two levels of opacity spoke to Joe Amodi. The obliterating ink, it repeats again, two levels of opacity, which means it was two different levels of blackness on the ink, spoke to Joe Amodi. Repeating it again and again, and then it goes back into the story as I actually wrote it. Well, it, you know, the first reaction you get when you open the magazine where you've written an article, you see something like that, is to say, oh, come on. You know, they couldn't have proofread it better than that. They've got this big mistake. Nobody's going to understand. Not Phyllis. She's, she's pretty fastidious. She's pretty fastidious. mistake. Yeah. I, 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 I called up the publisher, Phyllis Galdi, and she was flabbergasted. She said, look, we had, we had two regular proofreaders and two editors. It wasn't like that when it went to the press. So it's, it's again, another link in the chain. Of these strange things again that point that point to Ackerman. All right, we'll come back and uh, talk about uh, Dr. Gary Schwartz and his amazing work uh, on the survival of consciousness after death down at the uh, University of Arizona, and uh, the fact that you took this information down to uh, Gary Schwartz and uh, some of the tests that he ran 
absolutely compelling evidence for life after death. The Life After Death Project filmmaker Paul Davids joins us here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Quick programming note coming up on the weeks ahead here on The Conspiracy Show. We'll uh, speak with, or I'll speak with, uh, one of the founders of the Merlin Project. This is a, an amazing uh, piece of technology that utilizes the uh, the Internet to, uh, to make predictions, future uh, trends and so forth. Also, self-described crackpot historian Adam Gorightly will be here to talk about some of the mysterious deaths of some famous comedians over the years. Everyone from uh, uh, George Carlin, uh, Lenny Bruce, uh, on and on. And we'll speak with... Uh, a whistleblower from inside the World Bank. This is senior legal counsel, a senior legal counsel with the World Bank, turned whistleblower, now facing criminal prosecution uh, because she dared speak out about what's going on inside the World Bank. Uh, right now, a few moments remain with Paul David's filmmaker as we discuss his latest project, uh, an amazing documentary, The Life After Death Project. All right, so you you uh, approach uh, Dr. Gary Schwartz down at the University of Arizona, um, who runs the, um, who's the director of the Laboratory for Advances in Consciousness and Health. Uh, tell yeah. me about what he made of, of, of uh, when you first approached him and told him about what was going on. What did he say? Well, he, he asked me every question he could think of to try to ascertain the credibility of it and, uh, and my credibility. And then uh, he, he invited me down. I asked him for an interview for the film. And I learned from him, at that time, he was doing research in two different directions related to life after death. One direction had to do with using mediums who were, he calls it double-blind uh, double experiments, where um, they, they have absolutely no foreknowledge of, of, of who it is you're trying to get uh, a message from. And he was also doing work with computer software he was designing to facilitate contact between this world and the next that could be measurable through very, very subtle energies like gamma rays and, and very subtle levels of light in pitch black through attempting a communication and seeing if there was a meaningful timed response. And he has been successful in that work. And it has uh, he's had a peer-reviewed paper published about it. Uh, his... Experimental protocols have all been approved by the university, and uh, he's accomplished a lot, and he's moving on. Put that in your pipe, Michael Shermer. <laughs> but we started with one of the mediums who had done many readings for him in Tucson, Arizona. Her name is Catherine Yunt. She's been in a couple of documentary films, um, not necessarily as a medium. Her background is she's a math teacher. But she has this ability to bring forth um, information, and, and, and it's very strange. You don't know how, how, how could she know these things. It's as though she really is speaking with, uh, with someone unseen. With me, he called her on the spur of the moment and said, look, there's a man here I'd like to bring to you. He's going to have a video camera. He'd like to tape this. I'm not going to mention his name. 
there's somebody he'd like to hear from and see if that person could come through you. And we got there, I set up, and at first uh, we weren't even going to tell the name of the person I wanted to contact, even the first name, but, but and Gary said his name was Forrest because she thought it would help to know the name. And over the course of about an hour, she gave a lot of information that just hit the nail on the head. It was very, very specific to Forrest Jackerman's um, personality, his sense of humor. Um, it wasn't perfect, and the best information didn't necessarily come right at the beginning. It sort of warmed, warmed into it. And the things that she came up with, though, um, as I say, they just it was so specific to Fari, there were a lot of them. And it amazed me. It was many months later when there was a psychic who's well-known in Israel who was coming to the University of Arizona to meet with Gary that he invited me back. I flew in again. We did a, a reading with Orit Ishyemini Tomer, is her name. And her reading was absolutely fantastic, too. You told her nothing. Nothing, no. She, she would... She she pulled out of the air. I think his name, the one you want to talk to, his name does it should begin with an F. She says an F or a P. She says in Hebrew, I can't. I, you know, I'm singing Hebrew, same letter. Um, it's one or the other. And we said, well, it's an F. And she went from there. And she brought out that he he there was money from writing. That he was involved in publishing a a, a, a funny magazine. Um, a strange magazine, you know, that parents didn't necessarily like it, parents didn't necessarily approve of their children following, following after him. She said she saw this collection that he had of funny little dolls, she said. She didn't have the, the word for monster. You know, her English wasn't perfect, but she said strange little dolls, and she said some of them, she says, I'm, it's like Yoda, that kind of thing, which is, of course, exactly right. And then she, I asked, well, what about the women in his life? And she says, there's one woman. One woman in particular, it's his wife. She's the one person who knows everything about him. Uh, her name begins with an, with an M. Okay? Well, as far as I knew, his wife's name didn't begin with an M. She was Wendane. So an M upside down, but it, it's not an M. Wendane Ackerman. Everybody knew her as Wendy. But then I learned after this, Wendane was not her real name. And we had to hunt for her real name. And there were archives that I had obtained at the estate sale, the estate auction, Forrest Jack. Some of his binders of writings that went way back. And his wife's real name was Malka, Matilda, sometimes called Mondell. Three versions of her original name, and they all began with an M. Wow. So where where did Orit Ishyemini Tomer get this from? You know, if not from Fari, she sure didn't get it by picking my brain. And she described him as kind of a, a kind of a strange little child, a childlike. She said she said he has two sides to his personality. He, that he he he's he's a childlike with a strange laughter. He'll laugh at things that other people won't even laugh about. They might find not find them funny. That's very true. And she said, but on the other side, he also has a very serious side. And that's true, too. I mean, he was a, a scholar of science fiction. Uh, 
She talked about his wordplay as well, did she not? Um, the, well, the one who really talked about his wordplay was Catherine Yunt, and she, she got right at that, um, uh, at uh, play on words as being his type of humor, that he had a very abrupt kind of pokey sense of humor that involved wordplay. And she said, he's telling me I can't see the forest for the trees right now. Which is exactly something that Ack would say, he right? He would say, you know, he's forest. Uh, so you need to see the movie to appreciate it. Now, when the skeptics heard about it, of course, what do I hear from them right away? Right away. They said, oh, you know, were these like, did you see like 15 skeptics and these were uh, 15 mediums and these are the best? Yeah, what did you leave out? Did you, what did you leave out? What, what did you leave on the cutting room floor? And look, each one of these interviews was an hour. The whole movie is an hour and 45 minutes. I'm not going to have their whole hour. Of course, I, I cherry-picked the best stuff. But the best stuff is representative of what took place during the whole hour. And, you know, I would be a good judge of this. I'm not trying to make this be true. If I had been disappointed with either of these mediums or felt that they were off-base... I would have been the first one to say so. I would have turned to Gary and say, this is a big miss, Gary. This is a flop. And Gary, of course, didn't know whether most of these things related to Forrest or not. He'd never met Forrest. He didn't know. He had to hear from me that they were right about this and this and this and this and this and this and on and on. And, of course, at the core of this is the fact that there have been probably around 20 more really strange incidents over the last four years. A few of them taking place really recently, like right when we heard that sci-fi was going to broadcast the movie. That very day, the weirdest thing happened to me. I have a face mask of Fari that I got at the estate auction that I keep in my office. I have weird science fiction collectibles in my office. I'm a producer, and I have the alien from our movie Roswell that we made for Showtime. Great movie, by the way. It's, yeah, it's, in a, it, it's really cool. It's in, a, it's in this display case. And on top of the case, I've had Fari's face sitting there for four years since I got this thing. It has never moved. I've never touched it. I've never moved it. But I went out for lunch that day. I left my house for about an hour and a half. The house is locked. My wife is at her job at Universal at the studio. No one is in my house. And when I come back and go into my office, the first thing I see is that Fari's face has moved. It's moved 10 feet. It's now on the floor across the room, buried in all my computer wires by my hard drives. And someone said jokingly, you know, I think he's trying to tell you he's getting his, his nose into your computer and he's communicating with you, you know, through technology. Maybe, but there was nothing to move that mask. And at the same time, I get back and my computer goes down. I have to reboot everything. And when it had gone down, I didn't have things related to Fari Ackerman on the screen. When it booted back up, on each screen is an open folder filled with files about Ackerman and his magazine, Famous Monsters. Wow. And while I was out for that hour and a half, a car swerves in front of me with a vanity license plate that says AM loves FM. And FM is, you know, Famous Monsters is a big sign in my office. Meet the editor of, fam of FM, Famous Monsters. And I said jokingly to the current editor of Famous Monsters magazine, Ed Blair, because it's still being published by Phil Kim. You can still find it. It's, it's, it's really cool. 
I said to Ed, you know, I know FM, Famous Monsters, you know, AM. He said Ackerman, AM, or Ackermonster, loves FM, of course. All of this happened in that same hour. And again and again and again, the list is long. So look, the skeptics want to I, saw, I read that somebody who, who runs a column uh, online that's called I Doubt It. He, he had a flash news thing saying, look, just got this story, Huffington Post, you know, printed, did this article about friends of Fari Ackerman say he's speaking to them from beyond, he's talking to them from beyond the grave. He says, didn't have time to get to it tomorrow, but I'm working on a headline for this, and I doubt it. You know, well, this is what you get from these people. Right. You know, the thing the, the scientists or skeptics, skeptics will say is extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And, and I've you know, got the extraordinary evidence. I've got you it do. three you universities. Do. I've got it from electron microscope work. I've got, look, wonderful things sometimes come in very small packages. And in this case, the message that kicked it all off was really small. Someone else might have missed it entirely or just shrugged it away. But scientists, they study molecules. They study atoms. They study subatomic particles. They study very, very faint messages coming to us. I don't mean messages, but you know from, from exploding pulsars and stars that are 4 billion years old coming to us very, very faint. So very subtle things. This ink blot, by comparison to those things, is huge. It's got a lot of molecules. It's got a lot you can study. Right. And, and it's there. And we haven't, even talked, about, we haven't even talked about some of the other experiments that uh, Prof- Dr. Schwartz conducted. Um, Which we see in real time yes. on the movie as he's communicating with Forrest J. Ackerman. Unbelievable. Qu- yeah. Quickly, last question. Before you made this film, what was, your, what was your opinion about life after death? I just felt maybe nobody knows. We can never know. I loved reading Paramahansa Yogananda and his stories about reincarnation. And I thought, you know, could it be true? But I didn't believe in any of the past life regression or just big unanswered questions. And I didn't dwell on it. And now? Oh, I think this is this is real. That that consciousness survives, and so does personality. So even can a sense of humor, and that contact between our world and that other world can happen, and we can amplify it. And that's what Gary Schwartz is working on doing now at the University of Arizona. Congratulations! Great film, The Life After Death Project. And again, where should people go? Please go to lifeafterdeathproject.com. You can sell it there. Oh, put in we have a coupon code L A D P. We'll save you some postage, or it's at Amazon, uh, and it's going to be there with the sequel, coming to you with the sequel and bonus features with Ray Bradbury, Rick Baker. I put the whole package together. Don't go to the piracy sites. I hate them. Excellent (laughs) work, Paul, and we'll talk again, I hope. Thank you. Loved it. Good night. Good night. Tim Spreen, thank you. Back next week. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. And what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.